TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host... Welcome back to the program, Mom. Zev Brenner to Israel we go. Arnold and Fremont Roth, the parents of Malky Roth, who was killed in an attack at a very busy Jerusalem pizza restaurant, Sabaro. She was a bubbly 15-year-old who loved her family and friends playing the flute and visiting her grandparents in Queens. She also loved pizza, which brought her to Sabaro's on August 9th, 2001, exactly 20 years ago. That's when Hamas terrorists killed her. They killed 15 people and injuring 130 people. Her murder is celebrating her life in Germ- in, uh, in Jordan. Arnold Roth joined us, the father of Malky Roth. Malk, uh, Malky Roth, as I said, a very, very special young lady. Arnold, thank you for joining us. And thank you, thank you. I can't believe it's 20 years. I remember we had you on the program beforehand. So before we get to her killer who's living a luxurious lifestyle in Jordan, just tell us some more about Malky, the very special young lady that she was. Malky's life ended before she was 16, so it all has to be seen in the in the proportions of uh, a lot of potential that was never realized. She was a balat chesed, tremendously involved in doing good things for other people in, in a way that uh, almost defies comprehension. It, it was brought to a sharp edge because we have another child, the youngest of our children, who's uh, 10 years younger than uh, than, than Malky, Chaya um, Elisheva, who's, though she was born perfect, uh, became desperately ill when she was a year old, blind, disabled in every possible way, lives with us today. But while Malki was alive, she was Fremitz, my wife's indispensable helper. And from the experiences that she got working with her little sister, she really became an agent for change among you know, the, the, the schoolgirls with whom she connected, with the, the kids who were in her Ezra youth group. It's an Israeli Orthodox uh, Zionist organization, um, she did a great deal. And we've, uh, we've memorialized it by creating the Malki Foundation, which is also now 20 years old, uh, doing essentially the same sorts of things. She was a wonderful human being. It's such a tragedy that her, her life didn't run its course. No, it's certainly a terrible tragedy, and uh, other people were killed, and that was a time period when we saw more terrorist activity in Israel. Now, in her one of her killers is Ahalam Tamini, a Jordan a Jordanian, and she helped scout out the Sabara location. So, and it was chosen because a lot of American tourists went there. A lot of people went there. Pizza is very popular in Israel. So, tell us about uh, Ahalam Tamini and tell us about uh, what's going on. Uh, Tamini is a Jordanian woman who was then 21 years old. She was an enthusiastic uh, participant in terror activity. This was her second bombing. She was the first woman ever to be accepted by Hamas. She bombed the building that many of the people listening might remember. It's no longer that under that name, Hamashbir Litzarchan, which is on King George. She walked in a week earlier with a booby-trapped beer can, put it on the shelf, and expected that the building would explode. She has in fact claimed that it did explode, but, but uh, it's just nonsense, a lot, along with a lot of the other self-aggrandizing uh, statements she makes. Uh, she was arrested very shortly after the massacre at Sabaro, which she absolutely orchestrated and engineered. She wasn't one of. She was the person who pulled it all together. She picked the site, 
very carefully, and she boasts all about it. It's all on the record. After she was convicted and sentenced to 16 terms of life imprisonment with a recommendation by the Israeli judges, three of them, <clears throat> that she should never be included in any parole deal or political scheme, the exact opposite happened. And in 2011, when the, uh, the deal to save uh, Gilad Shalit, who, as everyone will remember, was a hostage who'd been held, held by Hamas for exactly this purpose, to do a deal for five years, uh, was uh, sold uh, back to Israel in exchange for 1,027 convicted terrorists, of more than half of whom were murderers. And she was one of them. We tried very hard uh, by delivering letters into the hand of the prime minister of the day, uh, saying to him, this is a terrible mistake. She is a woman with charisma. She's a journalist. She has a big, fat mouth, and she's going to do a lot of harm. Unfortunately, we were right, and uh, Pr Pr Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu was wrong on this in particular and on this at large in doing the deal. And the result is history. She went back to Jordan after being freed. She immediately was given a TV show of her own. The fact that no one on this uh, program has ever watched her TV program is going to mislead people into thinking, well, big deal. But it was a very big deal. It was beamed all over the world for five years. It's not going today. The program ended in 2016 for reasons that if we had another hour to talk, I would explain. But she's gone on from TV to having now a pan-Arab newspaper column in a major newspaper that's based in Egypt and gets circulation all over the world. And in the, bot the bottom line is she's a hero, not despite the Jewish children she murdered, but Dafka because of the Jewish children she set out to kill, succeeded in murdering, and then got away with it. So tell us, because it would seem to me that you have... Jewish senators, Jewish congressmen who are pro-Israel, and I can look at Senator Schumer, for example. Why isn't any of them advocating to have her extradited from Jordan to face crimes against humanity for killing Americans? It's not just Jews, it's Americans who are who also part of that, the American Jews. So we have a Taylor Force Act which prohibits honoring and rewarding terrorism, so why don't we have something similar as far as extraditing her from Jordan? I've learned that you only ask good questions, but your question actually could be even stronger because we don't need Taylor Force or crimes against humanity. She's indicted under U.S. federal law and the indictment, which my wife and I were instrumental in achieving with the Department of Justice by going there and, and, and begging them in 2012, has been was under seal from 2013 until 2017. It was announced in March 2017. And so she faces these charges in Washington, but much more important. And, and really the reason why I look for every opportunity to talk to the media is that the United States and Jordan have a treaty. They've had it since 1995. It's an extradition treaty. No one, but I mean no one, as we say in Hebrew, kuli alma lo pligi. No one argues about this that Jordan has a bilateral treaty obligation to the United States to hand her over. The only question that they can ever ask is, gentlemen, would it be okay if she would be on the four o'clock plane this afternoon? That's not the way it's played out. And uh, since you raised the matter of Jewish lawmakers and Jewish diplomats and Jewish members of this government and the previous government, I can only say that even though we share the same direction when we govern, and we probably govern much the same kind of nusach, we have very little in common. There has not been a single, not a single Jewish lawmaker, public official, member of this government or any other government, and I'm not going to be too specific about this, who has raised a finger to do a single thing 
And uh, if you think that makes me a bitter person, I can't deny it. I don't understand it. Uh, our, our efforts are not focused on the Jewish people involved in this in particular, although it would be nice to think that with all of our achdus and our feelings that everyone shares the same view about justice, they'd be on our side. But uh, Zemayesh, we don't But why? This. Well, why? Because this seems to be... You know, you don't invite one scientist. of these people onto your program. Invite one of the long list, and I'll help you put the list together. It could be ambassadors to Israel. It could be close advisors to the to the president, this president, any other president. I don't mean this as a sort of a rhetorical flourish. Invite them to your program. Ask them. Ask them why right. you never took phone calls. Did you try raising Ambassador David Friedman? He's been on this program many times. Has have you reached out to him, for example? I, I, I wouldn't want to direct you in any particular uh, to any particular place, but. Uh, you know, there are you can anyone you can think of. I would ask you to ask the same question. And what about the what about the Israeli government? There's there's a relationship between Israel and Jordan. I mean, it goes ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's better than others. Has it ever come up in a conversation between Israel and Jordan that let's extradite a terrorist who committed a terrorist act in Israel? Well, Israel hasn't got any interest in this. It's washed its hands of Tamimi, but totally. And whatever it does with Jordan, believe me, I've had meetings with people who would meet with me only off the record. I've learned stuff that I don't want to share here, but none of it makes my heart sing. Uh, we, we would be happy, and we're trying to make this happen, if the government of Israel would stop interfering. Uh, more than that, I won't say. But all of the pressure is not, not, not on Jordan. We don't, no one expects Jordan to do the right thing. The only expectation we have is that the United States, with all of the leverage that it has, and it has immense leverage, Jordan's the third largest recipient of U.S. aid in the world, only the United States can make this happen. And the fact that it hasn't happened now, people have to take a good look at the Obama administration, then the Trump administration, and now the Biden administration. Look where we are 20 years later, and I'm getting up early in the morning in order to beg Zev Brenner to share with his listeners, his worldwide audience, just how immensely frustrating it is to be looking for justice for a murdered, beautiful girl, completely innocent, one of 15, a 16th woman is still in a coma, and ask for justice. And uh, it's, it's, it's humiliating and embarrassing, but that's, that's the fate that uh, we now have. So what can we do to try, because let's put it this way, it's an outrage. Uh, I'm upset, I mean, and even the Taylor Force Act, took one individual, Sandra Gerber, who spearheaded it, and I'll speak to Sandra about uh, your case too, who spearheaded it, took work because the major Jewish groups weren't really that interested in pushing it. It was one single person, even APAC wasn't that involved in it, who, who spearheaded it. But it would just seem so logical. Here you have somebody who has Jewish blood on her hands, who's boasting about the fact that she killed Jewish children. She boasted on television in Jordan and elsewhere. So... Why would I, I just can't understand why there is such a reluctance to pursue justice in this case? If there's any case that smacks and reeks of of getting justice done, this would be it. Hundred percent, Enochinami, and uh, these are questions you really should ask. And every person you've mentioned so far is a worthy interviewee. I would only say to you that uh, it's pretty obvious to anyone who knows anything at all about the way international relations work, and especially in today's Middle East, that nobody, nobody wants to cause any aggravation to the precious king of Jordan, who is, as he keeps saying, in a dangerous, fragile situation, running a kingdom that is not, that he's not part of. He's a Hashemite from Saudi Arabia. Most of the Jordanians today have always been Palestinian Arabs with a minority of Bedouin. 
it's it's described in terms that I tell you now I totally reject. He's just spent almost the entire month of July in the United States. He spent a full week in Washington meeting with everybody. He took with him his foreign minister and his deputy prime minister. That's the same person. And he had no problems about the country overthrowing him or making problems while he was away. This whole nonsense, I'm sorry to be a little bit too blunt here, this, uh, this misrepresentation of Jordan's fragility against the obligation that it has to the United States is a total nonsense. The United States holds all the cards. The only reason that Jordan keeps being able to hold on to this woman, give her even more prominence, is because of a lack of understanding or desire on the part of the United States. You've mentioned some people who have real positions in the United States government. Ask them this question, Zev. No, we definitely will. I mean, I'm, I'm just... Now, let me ask you this question. Is there any Jewish groups or any organizations that are working with you to try to bring justice in this case? There certainly are. There have been all along. Uh, I have to say not enough. But last year, when one of the major Jewish organizations gave a, a, a disgusting platform to the Jordanian ambassador to Washington, and I watched it and was horrified, I contacted them. They're among the most important of the, of the three-letter acronym Jewish organizations. Uh, I, I was so enraged that I decided this is the time. We have to do something that we had never done before. Reach out to all the Jewish organizations, starting with the Conference of Presidents, and asking them, are you for us or are you against us? Now, the, re good, the result is a good one. We got enough of the organizations to be able to say, an Associated Press report of this, that we are a consensus issue among American Jewish leadership. But I can tell you that, A, a number of the organizations who said, yes, yes, we're with, with the Roth Roths are not. They say they are, and the minute that we come to them and we say, look, what we'd like you to do is, and we name a couple of very mild and meek kinds of things that would help us, we, we lose their attention completely. And I have to say there's a not insignificant number of Jewish organizations, national level Jewish organizations, who said, sorry, we're not going to get involved in this issue. So, you know, the aggravation level is very high. Uh, yes, Jewish organizations could have an enormously influential effect. I avoid, and believe me, it's an act of will, naming the organizations. I'm not that patient, but I'm strategic. I know that if I go telling people the truth about what's happening in their name by Jewish organizations, uh, they'd be upset. On the other hand, I have to say that just this morning, the Rabbinical Alliance of America put out a terrific statement and uh, there are other organizations, and I'm going to single one out that everybody knows is bad for the Jews, but isn't. And that's the Anti-Defamation League. I can't speak to their larger political agenda, but I can't think of any organization, but I mean this seriously, that has done more over the last, over the years since 2017, when the, when the charges against it were un unsealed, has done more for us in a practical sense. You can like them or not like them and buy their political line or not. The bottom line is that they've helped us, and it hasn't been obvious that they would do that. You're not so, the only so, one. So, so ABL has been helpful to you? Absolutely. And this cause? Right. Is there any reason why you don't want to name some of the groups that, you know, should be helping you but are not? Um, two reasons. The first is that today is Rosh Chodesh Elul, and the second reason is that it's just not constructive. Even those who've rejected us, we've gone back to to reason with them, um, it, it, the truth is, when f it's, it's from it and me. This is a, a massive campaign where we're trying to encircle the U.S. government, my wife and myself. Obviously, our interests are not political. They're entirely focused on justice. But this makes us, and excuse me for being self-deprecating, uh, uh, it makes us a laughingstock. 
we're going to turn American foreign policy around for the sake of a murdered Jewish girl? Are you serious? We say in Hebrew, you're making a joke. And I, I say that with total bitterness, but believe me that I, I hold to that view. Otherwise, you wouldn't have to push hard to get me to recite for but, you. But, but I'm just curious. If you have spoke to groups that they say, no, we're not going to get involved, and right. it looks like they're not going to get involved, so right. why not name them? Maybe they could be shamed into doing something. Because I fundamentally believe that there's no shame there. These are people who I call empty yarmulkes. Yeah, I mean, I think people would want to know who they are. Our guest, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation. Our guest from Israel, as you heard, is Arnold Roth. His beloved daughter, Malki, was killed exactly 20 years ago at a busy, tourist-friendly Jerusalem hotspot, Sabaro Pizza Restaurant by terrorists. And when we come back, we continue our conversation. Are you outraged that not enough American Jews or Israelis or the Israeli government or the American government is not getting involved in this situation? It just seems so clear-cut. A terrorist who's at large, who boasts of killing Jewish children, American children, is just living out her life in luxury and been feeded on television and columnists and goes about her life while she's destroyed the lives of at least 15 families in Israel lost a loved one and over 100 that were wounded. We'll be right back. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talkline Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. And we're back. Arnold Roth is our guest. He is in Israel. His beloved daughter, Balki, was killed exactly 20 years ago by terrorists in the Sabara Pizza bombing in Israel. Arnold, one of our listeners writes, I'd like to ask your guest if he reached out to Malcolm Holmline of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and APAC regarding this matter. So the answer is yes. Malcolm has been, uh, Mr. Holmline has been, I would say, exceptionally helpful. He had me on his uh, uh, national radio program that he has with, um, I'm forgetting the name. Uh, John Batchelor. Uh, that's the one, thanks. Um, but in addition, uh, he's been in instrumental in helping us understand issues that are going on behind the scenes. Um, the um, the APAC people, I have to say, uh, have um, have not um, come close to helping us do what we think can be done. They've never said no. And in fact, uh, their top leadership just reached out to us on, on Thursday asking for a meeting. So perhaps there's something on the move there. But I, I want to encourage people to be thinking beyond the issue only of Jewish leadership and focus for a second on what it means to have Jordan as the third largest recipient of foreign aid in the United, from the United States taxpayers and what Jordan in fact does. And this is not going to be a lecture, just throwing out a couple of data points. First is that 
Jordan has one of the most anti-Semitic uh, public opinion regimes in the world, even by Arab standards. Uh, there is no, no, no serious observer says that King Abdullah has done a single thing to try to offset that. And uh, as the ADL have demonstrated just some months ago, Jordanian textbooks are a cesspool, a cesspool of anti-Semitic sentiment that's being pumped straight into the brains and the bloodstream of Jordanian citizens. And then there's a, a report which just came to my attention overnight that is put out by uh, an academic at Barilan University in which he reveals the existence of, a, uh, of an incitement force, that's the expression he uses, of 850 individuals, Palestinian Arabs, paid by Jordan to create problems on the Temple Mount at a cost per year of about 60 million shekels. This is being done by one of the countries that calls itself one of the most fragile and insecure economically in the world. They've got 60 million shekels that they can spend on rabble round out of the rocks and pile them up in the, inside the mosque. Jordan is not our friend. Uh, I'm not out here to undermine Jordan's fabulous support among American Jewish leadership. I'm not about to do that because it's a lost cause. But ordinary, ordinary Americans need to be aware that as the United States sit there with its lips sealed as Jordan tramples the 1995 uh, treaty, um, they're being made fools of. And, and Zev, if you'll allow me, I want to make a, a revelation for a re revelation here, actually two. The first is that the only argument that the Jordanians have ever raised about why they don't have to hand this savage over to the United States, a, a refusal that, that, that began even before the indictment was unsealed, so it goes back to 2013, has been that the 1995 treaty is somehow suddenly invalid. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you that Jordan has been asked several times over the years to extradite and has extradited every single time the United States wanted a fugitive Jordanian terrorist, which, uh, loyal Eno, they have lots of. Uh, the only time they've refused is the case of Tamimi, and that went to their highest court. The timing is interesting. It was six days after the unsealing of the charges in March 2017. We waited so long for those charges to be unsealed. Six days later, the Jordanians were ready with a stage-managed performance in which their high court said, ah, what can we do? It was never ratified. Never ratified. Now, in late 2020, I'm speaking now eight, eight nine months ago, Fremit and I, Fremit is American, I'm not, and our daughter was American, uh, filed suit in a Washington federal court under FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act. We filed suit because our ordinary FOIA request was, was just never getting answered. And our request was, give us the documents from the 1995 uh, treaty signing. We knew what we were looking for, and we got it. We have a letter in our hand now that no one has seen which says, in the name of King Hussein, he uses the word we, he uses the royal plural, he says, we hereby ratify this treaty with the United States and may God curse anybody who comes to undermine the treaty. Uh, I strongly suspect he did not think it would be his son, King Abdullah II, who would be the one who came to undermine the treaty. And uh, we'll never know how King Hussein would have related to it. But what we can do and what we are now starting to do is alerting the media and Jordanian public opinion to the fact that the revered King Hussein, whose, whose, whose legacy was this renewed strengthened relationship with the United States, his memory is being trampled by none other than the current king. And that's the only reason why Jordan, at least publicly, 
refuses to hand her over. The real reason is because the street will erupt and the, the king will be in danger and all of the other self-serving nonsense that we hear. But now one other thing, which is a real exclusive. During his visit to Washington, King Abdullah organized a behind-closed-doors meeting inside the Jordanian embassy in Washington to which a select number, fewer than, I mean, fewer than 20, um, key figures in a variety of organizations, some were Jewish, most were not, uh, came to meet with him and to be impressed by his British accent and his pleasant personality. And at a certain point, somebody took his courage into his hands and said, Your Majesty, what can you tell us about Jordan refusing to hand over to Mimi? And he said, there are three factors. The first is double jeopardy. Now, I don't know, there are probably some lawyers here. Double jeopardy has as much relevance to this as any other red herring that you could come up with. I can give a more detailed explanation, not because I'm an expert in the field, but because I've been speaking to experts for years about this. Double jeopardy is a nonsense. The second is, he says, that the, the, um, the United States and Jordan are, quote unquote, talking about the matter, which is, which is incredible because they've been talking about the matter since 2013. And he raises this as a, an explanation for why nothing has happened. This is just wasting people's time. And the third, which I think is an example of Jordanian chutzpah, I doubt very much whether he knows the word, is that the king of Jordan says, we didn't bring Tamimi back to Jordan. She's a Jordanian citizen. She was born there, educated there. We didn't bring her back. She's only in Jordan today because Israel and Hamas did a deal. And as a result of that, she's over here in Jordan. And there were people in the audience, I'm told, who nodded and seemed to be impressed with the compelling logic of those three reasons, where in fact, this is straight out of Chilm. He could have said, we can't hand her over because the time is three o'clock. That would have made as much sense. Wow, unbelievable. So the real issue is has to be put to the fire. Right? And I thank Dory Lewak of the New York Post who contacted me uh, regarding the 20th anniversary and who lured me. She's done a terrific job in today's uh, New, New York, York Post. Post. I saw the article. It's a great article. I tell people should read today's New York Post because Dory Lewick did a very good article about uh, about this case, and hopefully that's going to mobilize people. So we're almost coming to the end. So, again, what would you like to see us do here in the United States, how we can be great. of help? Let's, let's get great. down to the practical issues. <laughs> Okay, so first of all, there's not much people can do. And the one thing that we certainly don't want is for people to go and put a bullet in this woman's head. We want to see justice done. I want to make that clear. We have a blog site, which is very active, called This Ongoing War. I'll just, I won't give the full address. If you write down This Ongoing War as a single word, you'll get to our blog. And there you're going to see, first of all, some of the media that we were able to generate while the king was in America in July. And a lot of what I need to say given that your time is precious and this isn't a good opportunity to expand, is there. That's number one. Number two, there is a petition, which we're going to wrap up in the next few days, addressing um, the Secretary of State, um, uh, Mr. Blinken. Uh, it was originally addressing the Secretary of State, Mr. Pompeo. He could not have cared less. Uh, and we want people to sign on. And the third thing is, I want people to know about the Malki Foundation. Malki's life and her legacy were all about goodness and chesed for disabled children. If you go to the This Ongoing War site, you'll hear about the Malki Foundation. Please click on it. There's a beautiful song that Malki wrote in her last year of life. We didn't know about it until it was sung to us in the Shiva house. Uh, and it's called the uh, Song of, uh, of Simcha. Uh, it's, the, it, it's, it's really what captures Malki's life. So th those are ways in which people can help. Yeah, well, I just think it's important because 
you know, it's if it happened in this case, and as I said, the reason why I keep on referring to the Taylor Force Act was one individual who did it. Otherwise, you know, they would still be allowing American money and even Israeli money that goes to the Palestinian Authority went to pay terrorism. And in a sense, we are in Jordan. You, American taxpayer has could have an impact, and it's not. Um, you said here's an email question. Uh, you said that Pompeo could not help. Why? Because of I didn't say he couldn't help. He absolutely could help. He didn't help. He couldn't give a. He he didn't respond when he was here in in November on his victory tour just before uh, the the uh, Trump government ended. Um, we bought out of our own pockets from Ed and I a uh, one third page advertisement on the on the cover of the Jerusalem Post. And it was addressed to him, and it started with the, the words Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdov, Justice, Justice, Shalto, Thou Pursue. It was addressed in the second person, Dear Mr. Pompeo. And, you know, he's probably going to answer us one of these years. I'm surprised. Now, have you also reached out to Christian evangelical groups in the United States? Because they're also very pro-Israel. I can see them coming on board to try to do something, too. I agree with you. The answer is Yes. It's been a disappointment. There are individual uh, evangelical groups around the United States who have not only uh, responded to our calls, but have allowed us to speak to them. The top leadership is a different story. I have my own theories as to what's going on. Again, it points back to the manipulation of Israeli politicians who play an outsized role in the evangelical uh, group. And if you really want to understand why I keep referring to Israeli obstructionism, that would you'd really need to have me come on and uh, speak again because it's unfortunately a serious issue I'm, I'm a passionate zionist we're not living here because we were chased out of australia by the kgb australia's where my wife and i started our family she's from new york uh, we're here because we love israel desperately our children are zionists in every sense of the word our grandchildren are zionists and i have no embarrassment in saying zionist 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 that's what we are we really believe in this but we have been betrayed in a very serious way, in an absolutely... So you say that you've been betrayed by the Israeli government that they, re, they refused the to get him. Right, right. I'm hoping for better now that Prime Minister Netanyahu is gone. Uh, I don't know that we'll get much better. Uh, certainly he was deeply invested in the Shalit deal. He was the one who presided over it, even though he was the one who wrote the book about what you don't do. He wrote the book about called Fighting Terrorism. He said, you never deal with the terrorists. And the very first time he was tested, he did the exact opposite. He's, he's no longer in the picture. Now we've uh, already been rejected by uh, Lapid's uh, staff, and uh, we have an open letter to uh, Prime Minister Bennett, which is going to appear in the media tomorrow. Tomorrow's the anniversary. Uh, it was delivered to him privately so that he could answer us, so we wouldn't have to publish it publicly, but we haven't heard from him yet. Let's go to Ralph from Maplewood, New Jersey. You have a question for our guest. Go ahead, Ralph. Yes, um, Mr. Roth, I, I would like to know if you can speak about, or maybe this is something that you can't speak about, if there's been any secret mission to take this woman out, uh, not necessarily physically to, 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 to take her out of the country, but to, uh, uh, to, to put an end to her life. Right, so I'm totally opposed to that, uh, so is my wife. Um, we're not stupid, and we're not uh, full of uh, Rahmanas for people who murder Jewish people. But she's a hero, and what we want to do is see her completely humiliated, in chains, brought across the Atlantic, and frog-marched into a Washington court. If that's not going to happen, then that's really unfortunate, but the alternative, that's just vengeance. And it won't serve our interests, it won't help the Jewish people, and it certainly won't meet the needs of American justice. So I know it's an unsatisfying answer, but it's the absolutely sincere answer. Henry, thank you for your call. 
but what what intrigues me is you said that the Likud government didn't want to help; they had their own agenda. Do you think the Bennett government is a different government? Is do you think there's more of a possibility because it's a broader coalition? That's not the way I'm thinking. The broader coalition is a catastrophe. It's only a matter of time before it falls. Uh, it's, nothing in this is to my taste. I'm only reacting to who has betrayed us. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, if the coalition government betrays us, then I'll get on the radio and I'll say that the coalition government betrayed us. I can say for a certainty that the Israeli government betrayed us. I've had enough conversations, and I mean this, with serious figures in the government, the, the previous government, with individual ministers, with, with key figures that people perhaps don't even know, to understand that they constantly come back to the same sad mantra. It's complicated, Mr. Roth. You have to understand, Mr. Roth, the relations with Jordan. And, and, and one of the ways in which this is expressed is a good image for me to leave with your, your, uh, your listeners, uh, Zev. More than one person has said to me, you know, we can't really afford to jerk around with the Jordanians. We have a long border with the Jordans, our longest border, and the, Israel, and the Jordanian military had deployed the entire length from north to south. And do you know what? Their guns are pointed at their own people and not at us. And we're okay with that. To which I say, this is jackassery of the first order. You are talking nonsense. The king is strong. Israel is strong. No government is going to fall because of a woman who is famous because of the Jewish children she murdered and about whom she dances. But the damage that's being done every single day in villages that you will never reach, you'll never know about them. You'll hear about them only when some awful thing happens. And this is happening because of your incredible tolerance. And in the end, because of your inability to understand the preciousness of, and let me say it in the strongest possible way, the life of one Jewish girl. Of course, it was more than one. There were 15. I've already said that. We had a, a gathering of all of the families this past Thursday night. It's a, it's a tragedy, but really only a tragedy for the people who've lived it. That's the problem. We don't have enough empathy in Jewish life, and we don't have enough sharing of fate, not enough recognition that, in fact, we are all in, in this together. You don't only say that when you're looking to raise money from donors. It happens to be true, only not enough people believe it. Here's an email question. Did you reach out to J Street to help you? No. Was you more to the, I guess, well, to the right to wing? To J Street. J Street, and there's a long group, of, long list of organizations whom it's a, it's a brockel of a toilet, total waste of time. Um, we don't pick our political allies, but if we're already going to go talking to various Jewish organizations, then there are certain basic requirements. They have to have a certain commitment to uh, to values that we think are absolutely central. To the what, about, what about ZOA? Does ZOA have signed on to our letter of support? Okay, because it would just seem like such a natural cause. And I know I remember interviewing in the past, and I think things haven't changed as far as this is concerned. And I'm just surprised that uh, when you tell me about the Israeli government, let me ask you this question. You're an ardent Zionist. Has the fact that the Israeli government, you said, betrayed you, has that dampened your Zionist spirit? Look, it's going to sound a little uh, Pollyannish when I say this. The answer is no, because I don't depend on the attitudes of politicians to form the core beliefs of my life. I don't like politics anywhere. I don't hate it, uh, but a lot of the time politics is a, is a, a terribly disappointing place to put your faith. So po politicians are there to be used, to be, to be persuaded, to convince them to stand with you. If they don't, then move on. Uh, no, anybody who thinks that our commitment to living in Israel and seeing our grandchildren grow up here in Jerusalem 
uh, depends on who is sitting in the Knesset and which coalition and who's voting against whom, uh, that's not the way it works. That's politics. Politics is a different world. What they can do, though, is, is negative. And what they've, what they've been doing is being totally negative on our issue. That's, it's very, very painful. I hear your hearts go out to you. It's a 20-year commemoration anniversary of the Sabaro pizza bombing that killed your beloved Malki, and 14 other people were killed uh, during that uh, time. It was a time of terrorism, and the fact that the killer and uh, 130 people were injured during that particular bombing, and the killer and the one who facilitated is Ahalam Tamini, a Jordanian who helped scout the Sabaro location. She also drove the bomber on the day of the attack. She's the one who took credit on Jordanian television for killing children. She is living free in Jordan, and the, and the family Arnold Roth is here to talk about the fact that it's 20-year anniversary and justice should finally be done. So if people want to learn more or contact you or to find more about the Malki Foundation, how can people do so? Best is, as I said before, and I'll say it again, this ongoing war, a single word, find that there's a, it's a blog site, and it's, we've been running it since 2006, so there's a lot there. Secondly, this ongoing war at gmail.com, that's a good way to reach me. Uh, thirdly, I just want to also say that uh, Tamimi wasn't one of. She wasn't one of at all. She was the one. And uh, people need to understand she wasn't the driver. She doesn't, didn't bring him by car. They much more complicated than that. She was the bomber. The young man who blew up, he was the bomb. The suicide bomber, those words, I never, ever used those words. It wasn't suicide. It was all about murder. And she was the murderer. The young man who blew himself up didn't intend to die. He intended to murder. And uh, he was indifferent as to his own fate. I'm sorry to sound pedantic, but there's a lot of... Uh, no, listen, you, you, you know this, uh, uh, unfortunately. Not only because I know it, but also because I want people to think about this the right way. It's not just that the woman is free. She's a celebrity. She has incredible support. In all the years of my following her, I spend the first hour every day, even before I go Daven, reading the Arab news, the Arab media online with the help of Dr. Google, who translates everything for me. This woman has never had a single article about her that was critical. Not one in Jordan. She's on television. She was on the BBC a few months ago. She's on Al Jazeera every few weeks. She, as I said, she has her own column now. Wow. She's a hero. Imagine, I don't know. And uh, we have to do something about Carlson. it. Arnold, I, I... carried out a massacre. Yeah, that's Ar sort of Arnold, unfortunately, we're out of time. I, 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 I commend, you. commend you for your courage. I commend you for, for being strong in your beliefs. And with God's help, we'll, we have to try to bring justice. And I believe it will happen. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I know... You know, you're never going to give up, and we're never going to give up. So thank you for your courage, and thank you we, very much. we look forward to at least this will have some measure of justice to be done. And then thank you for sharing that with us. Shana Tavad, everybody. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. For continuous Jewish programs, hawklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms, or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the TalkLineNetwork.com. TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.